Welcome to the Hills. My name is Rick Ashley. I'm the senior teaching minister of our church. And if you are a guest, maybe you're in person at the North Richard Hills campus, the South Lake campus, the West Fort Worth campus, or you're watching online, you've picked an amazing time to be with us because what we're doing is unveiling our church vision for the next five years. We're calling it Ask for Nations and Generations. Last week, I shared our seven huge goals to reach nations, not only around the world, but the different ethnic communities right here in our city. And we saw that God's heart for the nations is huge. He cares not just for one people, but for all people. And his redemptive agenda is not just for one time, but for all times. So we should not be surprised that he would give the church today a vision for the church tomorrow. Because God is just as passionate about generations as he is about nations. Last week, I took some time and just walked you through in the scriptures, God's heart for the nations. I'm going to do the same thing in a moment regarding his heart for the next generation. But I want to deal first with a couple of legitimate questions you might have about the unveiling of this next vision. One might regard the timing. You see, it was our intention to launch our new vision in January of 2021. It was our intention this time last year to be sharing this with you. If you've been here a few years, you know for a long time our church was guided by our 2020 vision. It served us well, and we were planning to embark on our new vision at the start of this calendar year. Then the pandemic came. For six months, we couldn't even meet in person, and we couldn't get together to build the things that we needed to build for the next vision. So leadership determined it would be best to wait one more year before we rolled out our next vision. We're going to start tracking our next vision, January 2022, and it'll go through December of 2026. Now, you're thinking, but we're still in a pandemic. You're right. The future is still very uncertain and tenuous. But we affirm that God is in control and that the mission of making and growing followers of Jesus is always in season. And God has a pretty amazing track record of advancing his kingdom in circumstances that are not ideal. So instead of waiting for the future that we want, we've decided to start creating the future that we want. So we're launching this vision starting in January and that's going to mean pursuing some very specific and measurable goals with regard to nations and generations. And that raises the second concern some might have regarding using numbers. Like, I'm just not into measuring things. The church should be about quality, not quantity. Now, let's think about that a moment. You and your mate are at a state park. You've got five children. They get lost. You search frantically. You find three. Do you say to your mate, honey, we found the quality kids. We can go home now. <laughs> now, if you want to find all of your lost children, why wouldn't the Father in heaven feel the same way? Here's the truth. If you can't measure it, what you have is a slogan, but not a strategy. And it explains why many churches are stagnant. They only have slogans. You go to the website, we exist to, in, we exist to invest, invite, include. What does that mean? And how do you know if you're doing that? Here's the truth. You count what you think counts. 
How did the shepherd know one of his sheep was gone? Because he counted. He had 100 sheep. Only 99 came back. I got a lost sheep. So he went looking. In the parables Jesus told about the master that comes back, how does he determine which steward has been faithful? He counted how much he gave them, and he counted how much he got back. Several times in the book of Acts, you have literal numbers given of the counting of the new disciples that are being made. You count what you think counts. And we recognize that our goals may need to be tweaked in the future, but we also recognize that goals that cannot be measured are goals that will not be met. You say, I want to lose weight. Okay, well, what do you weigh? I don't know. I never get on a scale. You don't want to lose weight. You just want to talk about losing weight. <laughs> if you can't or won't measure it, you have a goal you can't or won't meet. Now, we recognize that these goals that we're throwing out are daunting, but we also think they are God-honoring because it's not a vision from God if you don't need God to do it. And so the first word of our vision is ask. We're asking God for nations and generations. So next week, Taylor and I are going to launch a series called Building the Future. And we're going to use the book of Nehemiah as a platform to show that God is willing to show up and help his people create the future they want. But in the chapter one, when Nehemiah finds out the walls of Jerusalem are down, the first thing he does is pray. Ask God. And that's why next Sunday night is so important. We're going to show up at every single campus and we're going to launch the vision with prayer. And I want you to come because prayer is going to help you own the vision. And so many benefits come when a church owns a common vision. One of those is that it helps us align our monies and our ministries. We get asked to do so many things. How do you say yes to some and no to some? Well, you see what's consistent with the vision God's given you. It helps current members get on the same page and new members get on board. It eliminates a sense of jealousy and competition with other churches. We're not in competition with any church in our community. Any church that lifts up Christ is our friend and our ally. But we're going to do what God has called us to do and pray that God will bless what he's called them to do. I'll tell you a very important blessing. When a church has a vision, she'll stay focused on what matters and stop fussing about what doesn't. Churches without a vision will fuss about anything. We don't want to be an issue-oriented church. We want to be a church focused on the issue, which is making and growing followers of Jesus. And maybe most of all, the power of vision is that it creates on-ramps for the people of God to do the work of God. Slogans don't do that. But a clear vision creates this path and this plan that we all can engage. This is one of the things I'm most excited about. Now, I loved our last vision. It served us well. But the primary way you could engage the last vision was to go on a mission trip. What you're going to see as I'm about to reveal our next set of goals is that there are so many ways right here where you live that you can be an active part of the next vision of our church. Because we're asking for more than just your affirmation. When my oldest son, Michael, was only three years old, we took him to Chicago to visit my parents. My dad was wrapping up a career with Sears. And my dad and mother collected 
antique clocks. Michael was your typical three-year-old. He was all over the place. And somehow he caused one of those clocks to fall off the wall and break. This was a teaching moment. And we taught our son to say he was sorry and apologized to Papa for breaking his clock. Now, later in the week, Michael found a few coins on the ground and he was so excited. And my wife, Jamie, thought this is another teaching moment. So she said, Michael, do you think you should take your coins and give them to Papa to help pay for his broken clock? And Michael said, nah, I'm pretty sure I've done enough already. (laughs) And that's the spirit of a stagnant church where we're just going to talk about what ought to happen. God is calling us to do more than just assent to his passion for the world. He is calling us to invest, especially in the next generation. Because our God is always thinking ahead. And that's why he often accompanies his commands and promises in the Bible with the phrase for generations to come. So let's go back to the call of Abraham when he launches the redemptive agenda to bless the nations of the world. And he says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. God is always thinking ahead. And so, for example, when he instituted the Passover meal, the moment to celebrate the greatest metaphor in Scripture for salvation, that people are delivered from bondage by the blood of a lamb. This is what he said in Exodus. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. God wants the blessings of alignment with his will and obedience to impact the generations to come. But God also warns the fruits of disobedience will have generational consequences. It's popular today to say, just let me do whatever I want to do as long as I'm not hurting anybody. What you don't realize is you are infecting others whether you realize it or not. Our obedience or our disobedience right now is impacting the generations to come. And so when God gave the Ten Commandments, He said, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so when you read the Old Testament, you see this repeated cycle of revival and decline and revival and decline. Israel always struggled to think ahead, to pass on faith to the next generation. For example, in the book of Judges, we read, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And so what you have is this scene in the Bible of impacting the next generation for good. And it's a two-way street. The young people need to lean into the wisdom of the old people. In Deuteronomy 32, we read, Remember the days of old. 
Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. So the young need to seek the wisdom of the elder. But the primary emphasis in the scripture is for the older generation to influence the younger and to be proactive. Psalm 22, posterity will serve in future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. I love Psalm 71. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. This guy is saying, I may be old God, but I'm not through. Let me live long enough to give my faith story to those who come after me. In Psalm 78, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. In Psalm 145, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. So this theme runs all through the Bible. Be proactive in blessing the next generation. Joel, the prophet, said, tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. God's mission is for all people and it is for all times. And churches that want the kingdom to come will have a passion and a burden for the generation's still to come. When I was a boy, back in the 1960s, I heard of a church in Tennessee called the Madison Church of Christ. At that time, it was over 3,000 members. It might have been the largest church in America. No one had ever heard of a church that big. They had a preacher named Ira North. And I want to tell you why I believe God blessed that church. Ira North had a burden for neglected kids. One Sunday, he's in his pulpit, and he brings a 10-year-old boy up named Eddie. He says, Eddie, have you ever been in this church before? No, sir. Well, Eddie, you're as welcome here as the President of the United States. Then he sent Eddie out of the room. Then he turned to his church. Eddie has no home. I was talking to the district judge this week, and he said, I'm going to have to send Eddie to a reform school to get him off the street. And his only crime is that nobody wants him. And I returned to his church and he went off. He said, you got your big houses and your fancy cars. And I'm not against big houses and fancy cars. But what about Eddie? And while he's preaching, there's a man in that church named Perry Underwood. And he's whispered to his wife. And in the middle of Ira North's sermon, he stood up and said, Brother North, Eddie has a home. And he'll have a home until you get that children's home built. And I will be convinced for the rest of my days that God showed particular and unusual favor on that church because that church cared about kids nobody else was caring about. We want to be that kind of church. We want to be intentional about the faith development of the next generation. That's why I am thrilled to share with you that we're hiring Jill Shelby for a new position called Next Gen Minister. 
Now, you know Jill. She's been a missionary to Rwanda. She was the principal of a Christian school in Africa. She's been the principal of a middle school in our city. And she is uniquely qualified. What Jill is going to do, starting from cradle to high school, is help us think strategically and theologically and impactfully about how to pour faith into the next generation. Our goal is not a next generation that makes a lot of decisions. Our goal is to raise up a lot of disciples for Christ. Our goal is not a room full of young people. Our goal is a generation of young people full of Jesus. And by the way, 95% of the Christians in America made their commitment to Christ before they were 25 years old. Now, the church cannot take the place of the home, and it shouldn't. The church is here to serve mothers and fathers in impacting the next generation. But mothers and fathers, you've got to engage. For example, our primary programming night for students is Wednesday nights. It should be a priority in your home that your student is a part of our Wednesday night program. Our student ministry is starting on September 29th, a study of the book of Proverbs where the kids are going to read a chapter of Proverbs every day. Proverbs 16 times says, my child, the book of Proverbs is wisdom from the older generation to the younger generation. Your students need to be a part. Our student ministry prepared this booklet called Goldmine. Listen, I read it. This needs to be in the bookstore of every Christian bookstore in America. It is that good. We want you to pick one up for your student. Uh, $7 is what they cost. If you can't pay it, just get one anyway. Listen, the book of Proverbs says, chapter 1, these Proverbs will give insight to the simple knowledge and discernment to the young. Make engagement with your church and with our children's and student ministries a priority in your home. You know, it's helpful to remember, our Savior was once a child. And people poured into Him. And it's also worth remembering, Jesus always made time and space for the next generation. And we will too. So with all that said, let me share with you for the next five years, the seven audacious goals we have as we ask for generations. Here's goal number one. We will intend to launch and lead Celebrate Recovery and a freedom ministry for the redemption of broken generations. Here's what we all know. That one generation may not be guilty for the sins of another, but is impacted. And there are children who are growing up at home for a generational sin that's been passed down and passed down and passed down to the point that bondage feels normal. Now, here's what we know. The gospel offers freedom on both sides of the grave. And the gospel has the power to create a new normal for the next generation. And so... At the NRH campus, we have launched Celebrate Recovery. Ryan Young is leading the ministry on Thursday nights. It's off to a powerful start. Today, we've already had six people surrender their lives to Christ and get baptized, seeking freedom. Goal number two, we want to raise up 25 new foster families in our church. And we want to train 100 members to be respite workers to serve foster families. Because we know God has a heart for the fatherless and the family-less. Now currently, in the communities around our three campuses, there are over 900 children temporarily placed in foster care 
due to abuse or neglect. The truth is, there are more children that need to be placed than there are families available. Now, some in our church are already engaged in this powerful, wonderful ministry. In fact, would you let us know? We don't know who you all are. If you're fostering right now, would you contact a church leader just so we can know and be a better support to you? But we're going to partner with local agencies to try to raise up 25 new families to take in foster kids. We're going to train 100 people in our church to be respite workers, people who give the other families a break and take care of the kids for a short time. We're going to need people to volunteer for Parents' Night Out. We're going to need community groups to adopt a foster family and give them the encouragement they need. Here's what I know. The Bible, especially the book of James says, any faith that doesn't care about neglected kids is fake. And so we're going to get more involved in fostering. Goal number three. We want to see 2,000 members a year serve in ministry to kids and students in our church and community. Because nothing is more critical to the discipleship of the next generation than intergenerational connections. Study after study shows that kids that stick with faith are kids who have memories of investment with other generations in their church family. We want every member to be intentional about blessing a child every year. And there are so many ways for you to be a part of this goal. Think about our new partners. You can counsel at Pregnancy Health for you. You can be a mentor at Academy 4. One hour a month, blessing a fourth grader. Uh, you can work with Teen Lifeline or Our Father's Children, helping kids go to camp. Think about inside our church. We have upward sports ministries. We have people that lead student groups. And we have our Bible classes. A tremendous opportunity. We want to have a culture where you come and you worship in one service, and then the next service you go with your teenagers and you teach kids. There is no reason every member of our church listening to me cannot once a year specifically and intentionally be a part of something that is blessing a child. And then goal number four. We want to launch a ministry residency program that trains at least 10 people for future service in the church. I'm thankful for colleges and for seminaries, but the church should take the lead in raising up the next generation of ministers. Now, we're not talking about summer internships. We'll keep doing that. We're talking about bringing in young people to stay with us for at least a year and train for a future in ministry at our church as they consider what the future may hold for them. We hope our first resident will be here next spring. Goal number five, we want to guide 3,000 people to connect to God, church, and their purpose through Rooted, which is a small group discipleship experience. Rooted was created by some pastors in Kenya, and it has been a powerful influence around the world. It's an opportunity for people to practice the disciplines and the commitments that form us into the image of Christ. It is not a class. It's a communal experience that introduces people to the ways of Jesus. As you meet together with a small group for 10 weeks at senior staff, we did that last uh, spring. Now the entire staff of our church has gone through Rooted. 
Now the elders of every campus are currently going through Rooted. This fall, we're going to train the facilitators to go through Rooted. And next spring, we want to make it open to the church. And I'm telling you, in a couple of years, after a couple of thousand people have gone through Rooted, it will make a transformative difference in this church. It'll be for our students and our adults, and it's going to be powerful. Goal number six. We want to strengthen marriages, providing relationship champions to impact and encourage 250 couples. Now, we already do a lot of things at our church to bless marriages, but we want to be more proactive. Do you remember when the pandemic began and we couldn't meet together? We sent out a survey. How are you doing? 20% of our respondents said our marriage is struggling. Imagine training veteran, mature, godly, older Christian couples to come alongside struggling couples. Imagine being a newlywed and going to our newlywed training class and being assigned an older, mature couple who are going to walk with you in the very first year of your marriage as mentors and as coaches. Because nothing impacts the faith engagement of the next generation more than growing up in a home with a stable marriage. Now I need to spend a little time here. The studies are unassailable. There is one factor above all others, and there's no close second, that affects a child's emotional, financial, educational, and spiritual health. Did the child grow up in a home with a mother and father that stayed married? Now, I need to be careful. In no way do I want to make our single parents feel bad. You guys are my heroes. But... I think even our single parents would say God's ideal is best, that the next generation is blessed by a stable marriage. And when we build strong marriages, we're laying the foundation for the generations to come. And so we want to raise up these 250 couples who were blessed by relational champions. And then goal number seven. We want to create an intergenerational mentoring experience for men and women on every campus with the goal of maturing 300 kingdom influencers. We don't want to just try to find the next generation of church leaders. We want to form them. We want the leadership culture of our church to get younger and more ethnically diverse. And so at every campus, we're launching groups for men and women, pairing past and future leaders together because we don't want to just wish for the next generation of leaders. We want to raise them. Now, I realize I have given you so much to absorb. Uh, let me encourage all of you to check out a website we've created called nationsandgenerations.org. All 14 of our goals, the seven for nations and the seven for generations are there. You can learn more about. There's also a form there where you can say, I want to know more about a way I might be able to help with that go. You're not committing, you're just learning. But I would encourage all of you to go and be a part of what we think God is going to do for the next five years. As I prepared this lesson, a memory flooded back I've retained for a long time. When I was a boy, I announced to the world I wanted to be a preacher. I don't know what that meant. But the little church where I was raised was down the street from a nursing home. And one Sunday afternoon a month, we had the assignment of going to that nursing home 
and taking communion to the residents who wanted to participate. My dad signed up to do that one Sunday and informed me that I was going to bring the lesson. I was sixth or seventh grade. I think it was the first talk I'd ever given, and I was terrified. And I will admit it didn't help that half of my audience was asleep with their mouths wide open. <laughs> but I powered through the best I could. And when that service was over, there was an older woman in a wheelchair, and she did like this. And I walked up beside her, and she, she grabbed my hand. She said, are you going to go to seminary? I didn't know what the word meant. I had no idea what she was asking me. But I remember that she squeezed my hand and she said, I think the hand of God is on you to preach his word. Now, that was many decades ago, but I still live off the fuel of that blessing. Here was a woman who didn't think, I'm too old, I'm too frail, I'm too weak to bless the next generation. Here's the truth. You are here because somebody in the previous generation remained faithful. You must be faithful to the next generation. Yes, our goals are huge, but our God is bigger. And so we ask, like Paul in his prayer, now all glory to God, who's able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So would you bow your head, please? I'll finish the prayer, but I want you to start it. I want you to take a moment. I want you to thank God for some people in the generation before you that poured into you. And I want you to thank them by name. Thank God by, by their name. Was it a coach? Was it a teacher? Was it a youth minister? Was it your parents? A grandmother? Name them and lift that name up before the Lord and say thank you. So God, thank you for all those who poured into us. The wake of their life is still having an impact. And God, we want to live our lives in such a way that long after we're gone, we're still having an impact. So we ask for generations. In Jesus' name.